The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So glad that you have joined us this morning. If you're here in the room, up in the balcony, online, thank you guys for being with us. If you have your Bible, grab it, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8 this morning. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament, so back toward the beginning, Deuteronomy chapter 8. A few years ago now, I had a relatively mundane experience that taught me a profound spiritual lesson. I was out and about with the family. At at this time, my kids were all really little. We were rocking the minivan. So here I am driving the the silver Honda minivan. And I forget what we were out doing, but but my kids start talking about the fact that they're hungry. Dad, we're hungry. Dad, feed us. We're hungry. We're hungry. And then on the horizon, they see the glow, the illumination of Burger King. (laughs) It's like, Dad, please, can we go to Burger King? Please take us to Burger King. And so perhaps against my better judgment, I pulled into Burger King, pulled into the line and, and um, realized as I was waiting, taking orders from everybody else that I, I was kind of hungry too. So again, perhaps against my better judgment, I, I went ahead and ordered myself a Whopper. So food comes out, we all get our food distributed, pass it around the minivan and we're pulling out uh, into traffic and I'm taking a big bite of my Whopper and I swallowed wrong. And I started to choke and I started to completely freak out, right? Like I thought I am going to die and and I'm going to take my whole family out with me in the silver minivan. Now it was one of those moments where a little bit of coughing, a little bit of sputtering and and it cleared and, and I was okay. But in that moment, I was terrified because in that moment, I thought, I thought I was going to die. You've had similar experience. I take it. Just in that moment that's that's fearful. And in that moment, I had an acute awareness of my need for oxygen. You know what I mean? Like you just know I I need air right now. And, And here's the thing. The reality is I'm every bit as desperate for oxygen in this moment as I was in that moment. Right? I, I need oxygen to live every bit as much standing right here on this stage in front of you as I did in that silver minivan. It's just that oftentimes I forget. And do you see the spiritual lesson underneath the simple story? Did, did we find ourselves in desperate need for God? God, I need you. Oh, I need you. And there are sometimes that we're in the midst of circumstances where we have an acute awareness of our need for God. But the reality is there is never a moment that we don't desperately need him. And our problem is we forget. This Sunday is the first Sunday of our observation of the season of Lent. This is just an ancient practice in the church. goes back to the early centuries of Christianity where the church set aside a time uh, leading up to six weeks out from 
Easter, from the celebration of, of Christ's uh, death and resurrection in Holy Week and Easter. And it's a, a season of introspection, a season we talk about around here of a reflection, taking a look inside, re- repentance, asking God to undo some of those patterns that are, that are choking the life out of us. Renewal, asking him to, to bring renewal in our lives and in our community. Uh, a kind of um, spring cleaning for the soul we talk about. And so we're beginning this Lenten season today, launching a new sermon series called The Story of Us. As you know, over the course of this year, we're diving deeper into the story of scripture. We began the first uh, two months of the year with a series called The Story of God, where we took a big overview of the biblical story. And now we're talking about the story of us. And we're using the story of Israel from the Old Testament to see our story. We're, We're using the story of Israel as a kind of mirror to see ourselves. Because I think what you will find as we walk through Israel's story is that their story is indeed our story. That we told the story of Israel in, in kind of three acts in our earlier series, election, exodus, and exile. God's call of Abraham and his family. And then God's liberation of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, but ultimately leading them to an experience of exile. We're going to be looking at Israel between Exodus and exile. And as we see them, we'll, we'll see us, the story of us. And this morning, as we look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I, I think we find one of Israel's biggest problems that also helps us to find ours. One of the most important words in what we might call the spiritual life of Old Testament people, the the, the spiritual life of the Old Testament, is the word zakar. Zakar. Let me hear you say the word zakar. Zakar. It's it's just the Hebrew word that means remember. And it pulses like a drumbeat throughout the Old Testament. Remember, remember, remember. But if this is one of the most important words in the spirituality of Uh, the Old Testament, one of the most important words in in our spiritual lives, it also then reveals one of our most significant spiritual problems, doesn't it? If the call for us is to remember, the problem we have is that we forget. I know I have a problem. My problem is that sometimes I remember the things that I should forget, and I forget the things that I should remember. You know what I'm talking about? I I remember... a couple of weeks ago, I quoted to you up here from Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Like, why is that taking up space in my brain? I remember what I ought to forget, but I forget what I ought to remember. I can't remember what my wife asked me to do yesterday. Hey, some, some, of, you, um, some of you may f- be familiar with this problem. Some of you may have come to church this morning with people who have this problem, right? Some of you, especially Gen Xers and Millennials, you know what I'm talking about. Because it was proven just a, a few weeks back with the Super Bowl halftime show, right? Like your kids were freaking out because you were rapping along with every word to the Super Bowl halftime show. The boomers and the Gen Zs were like, what is happening right here? And you were like, da-da-da-da-da, right? You were channeling your inner Snoop Dogg, <laughs> right? We, we, we remember what we ought to forget, And we forget what we ought to remember. And so the very simple message of this chapter we're going to look at, 19 verses that we're going to examine this morning, the simple message underneath it all is, don't forget to remember. 
We're going to see in this passage kind of two sections. The first section is the positive side, the the call to remember. The the second is kind of the negative side, and and do not forget. And what you need to know before we read the passage itself is a little bit of the context. This is um, the Lord speaking through Moses just before Israel is to enter into the promised land. After their exodus from Egypt, Israel spent 40 years wandering in the desert. That God had taken them right up to the edge of the land that he had promised to them. And then Israel lost their nerve. They they were fearful of the people that were dwelling in the land and, and, and didn't believe that God would actually fulfill his promises. And so for the next 40 years, they spend wandering in the wilderness. And what we have here then in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, second law. This is Moses' reiteration of the law of God for the people just before they enter into the land that has been promised to them. And here's what he says. The Lord speaking through Moses says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the command of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revere him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills, and land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So right there in verse two, very explicitly, it says, remember. And in this big chunk, I think what we find is there's really two things that they're called upon to remember. They're called upon to remember the provision and the promise. Do you see the reference to the provision there? That there in verse two, he says, the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. That's interesting. The Lord led you in the wilderness. 40 years they've been wandering, taking this journey that should have just lasted a number of days. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, but the Lord says, I led you all the way. How many of you have lived enough life to know that sometimes the Lord will lead you on the wandering way, right? Like you're able to see, well, look, the line from here to there, right? The distance, Lord, can we just take the straight way? But sometimes the Lord leads us on the wandering way. And the reason for that is that he is more concerned about who you are becoming than he is about where you are going. It's not that the destination doesn't matter. It just matters less than who he is forming you to be. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than where you are going. And that was true for his people here. He led them through the wilderness in order to teach them to trust him. In order to teach them to to rely upon him, to, to remember their dependence on him 
every step of the way. Remember that I led you on the wandering way in order to teach you to trust me, to teach you to depend upon me. And then notice what else there he says about his provision for them in this journey. Verse three, he talks about feeding you with manna. God provided for them by by giving them food to eat every day. Just enough food for today. I'm going to supply your needs. Now, manna, the the, the word here um, literally means, what is it? Or my preferred translation, huh? Right, because that's what happened. Like they walk out one morning and there's this stuff that's all on the ground. And somebody goes, huh, what, what is it? Maybe we should try it. And God provides for them manna in the morning to feed them, to sustain them through this 40 years of wandering in the desert. He provides them manna in the morning and, and he provides them with quail in the evening. Um, now, some of you heard me talk about my experiences of growing up, spending a lot of time on my grandparents' farm. And so I did a little bit of quail hunting uh, when I was younger. And um, I didn't do a lot of quail hunting because the whole thing with quail hunting, quail, quail like to run around on the ground. And so when you're hunting quail, you walk out into the field in hopes that you scare the quail and they take off, right? So your goal is to freak out the quail so that they'll take off into the air. But the thing is, every time I freaked out the quail, the quail freaked me out. Right? They startle you. They make this noise and it's like, ah, right? And so the whole thing, the, the winner in this exchange is the one who freaks out the least, right? The, the, the quail that's freaking out as he takes flight, the, the hunter as he takes aim with his gun, the, the winner in the encounter is the one who freaks out the least. And yet, the Lord had these quail that just, they just flew into the camp at night. I don't know if that meant then they're like running around chasing the quail or if the quails just sort of flop over. But the Lord provided for them manna in the morning and quail in the evening. Remember my provision for you. And then he says, and remember my promise. Do you see where it says there in verse seven? The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. The promised land. They're now taking possession of it. And look the way the Lord leads when he describes this land. He said, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills. When God describes the good land, the promised land, here in Deuteronomy, he leads with water. Because they've spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert. And for desert people, water is life. I'll never forget the first time that I went to Israel. We were on our way to the first site. We'd all gotten on the bus. We're all excited to see all these biblical sites. And the, the guide got on the microphone as we're driving along the coast of the Mediterranean. And he points out this desalinating plant. It's a, a plant that's right there on the coast that takes the salt out of the water and then feeds fresh water, not only throughout Israel, but also into Jordan. And it's a big part of how Israel and Jordan have maintained a kind of tenuous peace. A lot of their water comes from Israel. And he's like going on about this desalinating plant that we're all like, we came to see Bible stuff, man. What do you, why are you getting all excited about this? But he, but he said something. He said, because in Israel, it's all about water. And uh, that's because for desert people, 
Water is life. And so when the Lord speaks about this land that they're entering into, he says it's a land that is, that's, that's got all kind of abundant streams of water, a land teeming with life. And then Jesus, on the last great day of the festival of tabernacles, stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I will give you the water of life. The Lord here is saying to his people, don't forget to remember my, um, my provision for you and my promise to you. And then in the second half of the chapter, we get the sort of the negative side, right? Uh, look with me beginning verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe the commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you, to your ancestors as as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations of the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Right here at the end of this passage, we get a warning. The warning that that the exile experience is coming if in fact you forget. So he leads this section with do not forget. And I think we see in this big chunk of scripture two main reasons that they and we are prone to forgetfulness. And the first one is satisfaction, right? Did you see it there? When you eat, verse 12, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be proud and you forget the Lord your God. When you are satisfied with what you have, the Lord knew that, that, in this season of wilderness wandering where they are desperate for manna, right? They're acutely aware of their desperate need for God. And yet when their lives become comfortable, it's so easy to forget and to be too easily satisfied. And friends, I I think this is a major concern for those of us who live relatively comfortable suburban lives. That our lives can become so comfortable, that we can become so satisfied that we forget our desperate need for God. In uh, April of 2018, I had the opportunity to travel with my friend Ephraim Figueroa and Oscar Camacho. The three of us uh, took a trip to Cuba 
And the whole point of the trip was just to be there and to be an encouragement to pastors. We, we traveled the length of the island and just visited with different pastors in, in different cities just in an effort to try to encourage them, to be a, a blessing to them, to know that they are not forgotten, to pray with them and for them. And, and, and I think it was a blessing to them, but I can tell you for sure that it was a blessing to me. That that trip changed my life in some significant ways. All, all three of us that went together on that trip were in this just seasons of transition and facing a very uncertain future. And we went there and we met with these pastors and we saw these churches and we, we worshiped with them. And here we saw these people who, whose lives have, have been um, so deeply impacted by um, decades of communism and corruption leaving their economy just completely decimated. Here are these people who have so little by way of the kind of comfort and and, um, privilege that that many of us experience. And yet, there was a vibrancy to their faith. There was a joy that they carried with them. These were people who were desperately aware of their need for God. And it caused them to have a depth that I longed for and recognized in so many ways I was missing. Desperately aware of their need for God. Lord, I need you. And sometimes we can just become satisfied with our life as it is. And I think part of what happens for many of us is what in psychology they're referred to as homeostasis. The principle of homeostasis. Homeostasis is just that idea that that we have this longing kind of hardwired in us for stability, for predictability. For things just to stay the way they are, right? To maintain the status quo. And so we find ourselves pulled towards the status quo, pulled towards homeostasis. So it may be that we don't necessarily like the way that our life is or like the way that our relationships are or like the way that our spiritual life is. And yet we don't want to face what it would actually mean change. Some of you may know that you need to see a therapist, but you're not sure you're ready to face all that would come with that. Some of you, I believe, know that there's a sin pattern in your life that you need to confess to a trusted friend, but you're not sure you're ready to face all that would come with that. Some of you know that that there is a person in your life that that you need to extend forgiveness toward after they have hurt you or ask forgiveness of after you've hurt them. But you're not sure you're really ready to face all that would come with that. And so we're pulled back to homeostasis, too easily satisfied that this is just the way that it is. This is just the way that I am. And the Lord's invitation to us, don't forget, don't become so easily satisfied with the way that it is, the way that you are. Satisfaction is the first. The second then is a sense of self-sufficiency. Look there in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That the Lord is, is providing for them. He's giving them this good land that's filled with all these resources. And the temptation may be to get in there and to just experience all the goodness of it. And to go, this was me. I did it. 
I accomplished this. A sense of self-sufficiency. The uh, Greek uh, philosopher Aristotle once said, happiness belongs to the self-sufficient. And I think he's dead wrong. That that we don't need the freedom of self-sufficiency. We need freedom from self-sufficiency. That we sometimes think and operate as though it's all me. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 103. We talked about this Wednesday night on Ash Wednesday. Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. My problem is sometimes I forget. Um, we've been observing Ash Wednesday for about 15 years here at Irving Bible Church. And, and as a pastor, it's one of my favorite things that we do because I get the opportunity for people to come forward and we use the symbol of ashes, a, a profoundly biblical symbol for our frailty and our fallenness. And I get the opportunity to, to apply the sign of the cross in ash on people's forehead and to whisper the gospel over them. Now, um, I had begun observing Ash Wednesday a few years before we started doing it here at IBC. And uh, I I loved that experience. The traditional formula of Ash Wednesday are the words, uh, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. Now, when we started doing Ash Wednesday, we thought, you know, that traditional formula, that, that might freak some people out that are not really familiar with Ash Wednesday. So we started our own tradition, and I love it. It's, it's those words from Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and I get the opportunity to look in people's eyes, apply the sign of the cross, and whisper the gospel to them. But the first year that we were doing this, Ash Wednesday, I was invited to be one of the people applying ashes. And so I was down here at the front. I was standing right over here and had a kind of a line of people waiting on me to, to receive the ashes. And uh, so each one, the, um, the, we would recite those Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, for the wages of sin is death, for the wages of sin is death. And then this woman came up and for whatever reason in that moment, my mind went back to that tr- traditional formula. Remember that you are dust. And to dust you will return. And she's like looking at me like, that's not what you said. That's not what you said to her. (laughs) And uh, so she's kind of free. Like what's happening right now? Um, She actually came up. We had a conversation afterwards. We got a good laugh out of it. Um, But uh, what what a good reminder. He remembers that we are dust. Lord, I am weak. You are strong. Be strong in me. Be my strength. Um, second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, it's probably my favorite verse. I say that a lot of verses, but that, that one has been with me for a long, long time because I discovered it as a, as an insecure kid needing a grounded sense of identity. It's where the Lord speaks to, to the apostle Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. One translation captures the beginning of that as my grace is all you need. Yeah, but God, I, I kind of need his approval of me. My grace is all you need. I, I need her affirmation. My grace is all you need. God, I, I need this to make me feel better. My grace is all you need. I need him, I I need her, I need this. My grace 
is all you need. We need to not forget that we are weak. He is strong. We don't need the freedom of self-sufficiency. We need freedom from self-sufficiency. And to learn to walk in dependence upon God. And so we come to the end of this passage. And we see the simple message therein. We see in the story of Israel, the story of us. And we hear God's word to them. God's word to us. Don't forget to remember. To remember my provision and my promise. I have provided for you. All that you have comes from my hand. And I have provided for you most of all in Jesus. Through his death and resurrection. I have provided for you and I promise you I will be with you. I will be your strength. I will give you peace in the midst of your chaos. I promise I will give you forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. Remember my provision, my promise. Don't forget Don't become so easily satisfied that this is just the way that it is. This is just the way that you are. Don't become self-sufficient, but walk in dependence upon me. And so I think that for us, what this sort of translates to, especially in this Lenten season, is practice desperation. That, that, That we are desperate in our need for God every moment. Lord, I need you, but sometimes we forget. And Lent is an invitation to practice desperation. You should have received a little card when you came in this morning. That's just a a little card that we put together for you to to carry with you throughout this Lenten season as a reminder of your desperate need for God. On the front is the fig leaf, the, the image that we're using throughout this Lenten season, just as that reminder of the story in the garden. The way in which the first couple sought to cover over their shame to make life work through their own strength and their own resources. And we remember these words from the back, the call to confession. Since the garden, God has been calling us. Where are you? Since the garden, humans have been hiding in shame. Let's stop hiding and bring our sins to light. An invitation to confession, repentance. But then in the history of the church's liturgy, anytime a a, a call to confession was offered, it was always met then with an assurance of pardon For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Lent is a season for us to practice our desperate need for God. To cultivate that acute awareness of our dependence on him. Gospel singer Jonathan McReynolds has a song that has just been uh, in my head all this week as I've been thinking about this message. Don't worry, I won't sing it for you. But it says this, profound words, simple yet profound. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. And may your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove God is good. May your struggles keep you near the cross practicing your dependence on God. Don't forget to remember. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.